American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about St. Rose Philippine Duchenne, who brought education to the children on the American frontier, including to the children of the Potawatomi natives. Right. It was just two episodes ago, episode 48, on the Potawatomi Trail of Death, that we talked about how the Potawatomi from northern Indiana were force-marched to eastern Kansas. And today... We're talking about one of the missionaries who helped to evangelize and educate them. Now, from an early age, St. Rose desired to be a missionary in North America. But by the time she actually made it to where the Potawatomi were, she was 71, had great difficulty learning the language and wasn't fit for the hard labor. But she was still a key to bringing about that work, and she's canonized now. So let's talk about who she is and how she got here. Rose Philippine Duchenne was born in southeast France in the town of Grenoble on August 29, 1769, one of seven sisters and one brother. Her father was a lawyer, and her mother was from a well-to-do family. One of her mother's brothers actually helped finance Napoleon's rise to power. As a young girl, Philippine heard stories about the great and noble work being done among the unevangelized native tribes of North America, and her soul was drawn to this work. So it was fitting that she was sent to a boarding school for girls near Grenoble that was run by nuns of the Order of the Visitation of Holy Mary. They were an order founded by Francis de Sales and Jane de Chantal with a mission of teaching and going out to help others following the example of Mary visiting her cousin Elizabeth, hence the name. The sisters are commonly called the Visentendine sisters. She remained in school there until she showed interest in joining the community. At that point, her father, who had no interest in having a nun for a daughter, withdrew her from the school and had her tutored at home. But Philippine was not to be outdone. When she was 18, she convinced an aunt to accompany her on a visit to the monastery. While there, she requested to be admitted as a novice immediately, and they accepted her. Her aunt had to go home alone and explain what happened. Things were fine for her for a few years until the French Revolution happened and the reign of terror saw all Catholic institutions suppressed. In 1792, that included the visitation convent where Philippine was. So she went back to the family home and spent nine years serving her family and helping those affected by the reign of terror, particularly those imprisoned in the convent, which had been converted into a prison. She spent these years adhering to her religious vows as closely as she could, and it was helpful that her vows included going out to visit the less fortunate. She was surrounded by them now. Yes, and she did this for nine years until Napoleon came to power in 1801 and allowed religious orders to reestablish themselves. In that year, she bought her former monastery and wanted to reestablish the Visentendine sisters, but it was a tough go. The building had been used as a prison and military barracks for a decade. A number of her former sisters came back, including the old mother superior, but as they had all gotten older and the building was in such terrible condition, many left. By 1804, Philippine was the mother superior with only three remaining sisters. Things looked bleak until a surprise visit by a complete stranger. A woman named Madeline Sophie Barat came to the convent. Barat had founded the Society of the Sacred Heart in 1800 in northern France. In 1804, her co-founder, the Jesuit father Joseph Varin, 
suggested she go and introduce herself to Mother Duchenne and see if there was any common ground to be found. And there very much was. Both orders had missions to teach, and neither was cloistered. Mother Duchenne and her three remaining sisters joined the Society of the Sacred Heart, and Sister Philippine and Mother Barat became very, very good friends for the rest of their lives. Mother Barat returned north, and Philippine served as the superior of the convent in Grenoble. Now in a new and more stable order, Philippine was able to rekindle her old wish to go be a missionary to natives in North America. In fact, in one letter she sent to Mother Barat just one year after joining the Society of the Sacred Heart, she wrote about a spiritual experience she had had while praying through Holy Thursday night before the Blessed Sacrament. She said, I spent the entire night in the new world carrying the Blessed Sacrament to all parts of the land. I had all my sacrifices to offer, a mother, sisters, family, my mountain. When you say to me, now I send you, I will respond quickly, I go. That was 1805. She'd have to wait a few years to realize this dream. First, in 1815, after the Napoleonic Wars had ended, Mother Barat directed Philippine to establish a new society of the Sacred Heart community in Paris. She did this and was set up to be the superior in that establishment for some time. This was actually a fortuitous assignment because it put her in position to meet Bishop William de Bourg and everything changed. Yeah, William de Bourg was the bishop of the Diocese of Louisiana and the two Floridas, a massive diocese which covered all of the modern state of Florida, the strip of land along the panhandle of Florida, then the bottom two little tails of Alabama and Mississippi, and then the entirety of the Louisiana Purchase. The diocese was based in New Orleans, but Bishop de Bourg had moved his base of operations up the river to St. Louis, which was far more centrally located and had become the capital of the Louisiana Territory after the Louisiana Purchase in 1803. To administer and care for the spiritual needs of this vast diocese, Bishop de Bourg needed help, badly. So he went to France to recruit priests to join his diocese and religious orders to come establish schools, orphanages, and hospitals. And this is what Mother Duchenne so badly wanted to do. Mind you, she was in her late 40s by this point, not exactly the age most missionaries set out for their first hard missionary journey, but she begged Mother Barat for permission to fulfill her childhood dream. Mother Barat finally did give permission, and in March of 1818, at 48 years old, Rose Philippine Duchenne and four other sisters of the Sacred Heart boarded a ship called the Rebecca and set sail. Ten storm-filled weeks later, they arrived in New Orleans on May 29th, which was, fittingly, the Feast of the Sacred Heart. And their lives in the mission began. First challenge, find lodging. Right. Bishop de Bourg, who had already returned to St. Louis by this point, had promised that the sisters would find lodging when they arrived, but nothing was there. They had to lodge with the Ursuline sisters in New Orleans for six weeks until they were able to take a paddlewheel steamboat north to St. Louis. That 1,278-mile trip up the Mississippi took seven weeks, but they finally arrived in St. Louis 23 weeks, more than five months after departing France. And we complain about waiting in line for a couple hours at airport security and then being stiff due to a seven-hour flight crossing the pond. It does put things in a little perspective. Right. So Bishop Dubourg was there to welcome them to St. Louis. But once again, the news wasn't great. The arrangements weren't quite what Mother Duchenne had expected. Rather than being set up to work among natives, Bishop Dubourg sent the sisters to the town of St. Charles, Missouri, where the lodging and school facility he had arranged for them was waiting. St. Charles was a tiny town northwest of St. Louis on the Missouri River, and Mother Duchesne called it the remotest village in the U.S. 
and the building the bishop had secured for the sisters wasn't much either. It was a rough log cabin, but it was enough for dedicated sisters. And in 1818, with Mother Rose Philippine Duchenne as their leader, the Sisters of the Sacred Heart established the first Sacred Heart School outside of Europe, and in so doing, established the first free school west of the Mississippi. It was a tough road to hoe. Money was tight, the building was not in great shape, the children were not accustomed to formal education, and the labor was difficult. Within a year, they had to move to another town, Florissant, Missouri. There, the facility was larger and a little better, and attracted more students, and even some women who were interested in joining the order, Mother Duchenne was able to set up the first novitiate. But there was an aspect of society that came as a complete shock. Slavery. Yes, Mother Duchenne also was entirely ill-prepared to live in a society where slavery was legal. This was unheard of in France. When she came into contact with slave women, she was shocked to have their situation described to her. She endeavored to get to know more about the slave women and to appreciate them more for the persons who they were. She wanted to admit the children of slaves to her school, but was informed that if she did so, she would likely lose all of the white children. And she wanted to admit black women as novices, but was very much discouraged from doing so for similar reasons. Knowing she was a foreigner in this land and having a difficult enough time keeping the school going anyhow, she went along with many parts of the culture that she found wrong just to be able to fulfill her purpose for being in that society. Mother Duchenne and her sisters also had to endure mistreatment by the superior of the Jesuits in the area. Yes, at least one of the Jesuits in St. Louis was a problem from the start. One of the earliest incidents was when Mother Duchenne brought an apple pie to the Jesuits when they first arrived. It was a welcome gift. Very American. Yeah. The Jesuit superior, I bet it was a French apple pie. Anyway, <laughs> the Jesuit superior, Father Felix von Quickenborn, turned up his nose and sneered that the Jesuits did not need charity from French missionary women. In another instance, Father Quickenborn turned Mother Duchenne away from communion, and in another, he denied her absolution and confession. He was beastly to her. The St. Louis Jesuits also owned slaves, and Father von Quickenborn treated them very badly, so it seems he had more deep-seated problems than just the local French missionary woman trying to be a good Catholic. Through all of these snubs and indignities, Mother Duchenne never spoke or wrote an ill word about Father von Quickenborn. Rather, she prayed for him, I'm sure. And the prayers worked, at least to keep the fellow work in the vineyard going well. We should include a word here that not all Jesuits were bad. One of the Jesuits in formation was Pierre de Smet, who eventually became one of the most important missionaries to the Native Americans in the middle of this country. He often said that his success as a missionary depended upon Mother Duchenne's prayers. We'll definitely talk more about him in a future episode. Oh, absolutely. So in 1827, the Jesuits bought the building in St. Charles that had been the sisters' first school. They asked the sisters to return to run the school. They had built a church on the property and fixed up the log cabin, making it more suited for the purpose. The sisters agreed and sent sisters back to St. Charles. And St. Charles wasn't the only additional establishment of the Sisters of the Sacred Heart. By 1828, ten years after they arrived in the St. Louis area, the community had grown from the five original sisters to six different separate communities, some operating schools with more to come. And some of those schools, particularly in St. Louis, did begin teaching black children because it was the right thing to do. Right. Mother Duchenne had come to the New World as she'd dreamed, and she was teaching and sharing the love of Christ. But there was still one part of her dream left to be realized— Missionary work among the natives. And this came about at last in 1841. 
Mother Duchenne was 71 years old when the Jesuits asked Bishop Bourg to send some of the Sisters of the Sacred Heart to St. Mary Mission near Centerville, Kansas. Just three years earlier, 800 Potawatomi Indians were force-marched from their land in northern Indiana and were living along the banks of Sugar Creek at the Mission, which was run by the Jesuit Father Christian Hoken. As we mentioned at the outset of this episode, you can hear the story of the Potawatomi Trail of Death in episode 48 of this podcast. Mother Duchenne was not among the sisters initially tapped for the trip. She was old, her health wasn't great, and various parts of her body were just breaking down. But she begged to be allowed to join, and the Jesuit in charge of the trip, Father Verhagen, agreed with her and insisted that she join. He said, quote, even if she can only use one leg, she will come. Why, if we have to carry her all the way on her shoulders, she is coming with us. She may not be able to do much work, but she will assure success to the mission by praying for us. Her very presence will draw down all manner of heavenly favors on the work. His prediction was pretty much spot on. She had had a difficult time learning English. The Potawatomi dialect proved impossible. She was not fit for any of the labor and couldn't teach. So what did she do? She prayed. She prayed all the time, including through the night. It got to the point where the Potawatomi children would put pebbles or sticks on the edges of her habit to see if she moved through the night. And when they arose, all of those pebbles and sticks would still be there. She hadn't moved. She came to be much loved, and the children gave her a name in their own language, which translates to woman who prays always. Mother Duchenne wrote letters to her family and to Mother Barat about the Potawatomi, how about half the tribe was Catholic, having been converted back in Indiana and Michigan. She related that the Catholic portion of the tribe had built their homes apart from the still pagan portion. They kept up the sacraments very well, prayed family rosaries. They had no problems with drunkenness or crime of any sort, and they received a healthy number of new converts during her time there. But her health kept her from staying long. Just one year after arriving, she was forced to leave St. Mary's Mission and return to St. Charles. She was bitterly disappointed, but obeyed her superior's orders. The Potawatomi also were sad to see the woman who prays always leave them so soon. She spent the last ten years of her life living in a small room under the stairs of the convent because it was nearest to the chapel so she could pray at all times nearest to the Blessed Sacrament. She spent her time praying for the continued success of all the missions she had helped establish and filling pages in her journal. Many pages were splashed with tears and the refrain, Thy will be done. Mother Rose Philippine Duchenne died on November 18, 1852, at the age of 83. She had been in North America for 34 years. She was buried initially in the convent cemetery, but was exhumed three years later to be reinterred in a crypt within a small shrine on the convent grounds. Her cause for canonization was opened in 1895. She was declared venerable in 1909 by Pope Pius X and was beatified by Pope Pius XII in 1940. In 1952, her remains were moved to a larger shrine, and on July 3, 1988, Pope John Paul II declared her Saint Rose Philippine Duchenne. Today, in addition to the official shrine of Saint Rose Philippine Duchenne at Saint Charles, Missouri, the site of the Saint Mary Mission at Centerville, Kansas, is now the Saint Philippine Duchenne Memorial Park. So important was her short stay there that the park bears her name. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, Please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. And please support the work of SQPN. Your support at sqpn.com give helps make sure American Catholic history and all of the StarQuest shows remain available. 
To learn more about St. Rose Philippine Duchenne, to find previous episodes, and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash history. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on social media at facebook.com slash American Catholic History or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. <laughs>